You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. An update on Mustang Panda and its pursuit of the goals outlined in the 13th five-year plan. Unpatched Drupal instances are being hit as targets of opportunity. NSA adds its warnings to those of CISA and NCSC concerning widely used VPNs. If you use them, patch them and change your credentials. Five senators tell Microsoft nicely that Redmond is naive about Huawei. And U.S. presidential campaign websites get privacy grades. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. Late yesterday, Anomaly issued a report on Mustang Panda, a Chinese government threat group that's probably operating against a distinct but extensive set of targets. People interested in UN Security Council resolutions concerning ISIL, which of course was the Islamic State's incarnation in Syria and adjacent regions, Miat Airlines, the Mongolian national carrier, the European German-speaking Catholic cultural and religious exchange not-for-profit China Zentrum, the Communist Party of Vietnam, and Shantai Theravada Buddhist communities in Southeast Asia. They also seem to have taken an interest in police agencies in Pakistan's Sindh province and in insurgent paramilitary organizations in the Shan states of Myanmar, especially the Shan State Army and its political arm, the Restoration Council of Shan State. Anomaly's conclusions about the targets are circumstantial, but they think they're moderately convincing. The nature of the fish bait suggests something about whom the threat actors are fishing for. .inc files used in the phishing usually contained an embedded HTA file with VB script of PowerShell script that, when executed, opens the decoy document and runs the malicious payload in the background. The payloads have been the PlugX Remote Access Trojan and the penetration tool Cobalt Strike. Mustang Panda was first identified by CrowdStrike in June of 2018, so it's not a new threat group. The tip-offs that the recent activity is traceable to this particular threat group lie in its tactics, techniques, and procedures, and in its targets. The targets, Anomaly observes, are the kind of groups and individuals likely to be of interest to Chinese intelligence services. How do they know this? They've read the 13th five-year plan, the one that runs through next year, and they've noted the ways in which the targeting serves the plan's objectives of openness, that is, dominance of export markets and penetration of global infrastructure through Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative, innovation, that is, effective industrial espionage, and the enduring goals of keeping a close eye on neighboring states for strategic reasons, especially those states that have a large Chinese diaspora. Unpatched instances of the Drupal content management system continue to receive Drupal Geddon 2 attacks, Akamai warns. The vulnerability being exploited was patched last year. 
but there are, unsurprisingly, many unpatched instances of the popular software kicking around out there. Drupalgeddon 2 is an unauthenticated remote code execution vulnerability that the Drupal platform fixed in March of 2018. An attacker could use Drupalgeddon 2 to force the server running the content management system to execute malicious code, which in principle could compromise the Drupal installation and possibly the host machine too. Akamai isn't seeing widespread exploitation of the vulnerability, it is rather seeing opportunistic attacks against high-profile sites where the vulnerability persists. As is so often the case, the best course of action is to keep your systems patched. Security firm Code42 recently released the latest version of their Global Data Exposure Report, and one of the highlights was the prevalence of insider threats. J.D. Hansen is CISO and VP of Information Technology at Code42. A lot of non-malicious data exfiltration happens when employees mislabel documents and overly share documents, um, and then they're leaked out of organizations. On the malicious side, um, you know, certainly a lot of aspects around departing employees. So when employees leave organizations, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that they're taking documents with them. Um, One of the things that I think the report called out was just the fact that companies need to wake up to this and start thinking about like how impactful it is to a company when insiders and when employees leave organizations and take data with them. And what what is the disconnect here in terms of, of companies being able to um, combat this and, and it continuing to be an ongoing problem? Where are they what are they missing? Because as you said in the report, they, it seems as though many of these companies feel as though they have protections in place. Yeah, so there's a couple things at play. Um, first and foremost, I think in the security industry, we have been very focused on prevention technology and we've been very focused on the external threat. Um, I think now companies have to start waking up to the internal threat, um, the internal threat being employees misusing or missharing information or exfiltrating information. It's interesting, like when you think about the ways employees can get information out of a company. Um, We're in a time of complete collaboration where we have, um, you know, lots and lots of collaboration tools in the cloud that we're sharing data with. We have, in many cases, no network perimeter. And so I think the other thing at play is that it's just much easier than it ever was to move information outside of a company. I think the other thing that I've always thought, um, the the fact that employees feel very entitled to personal ownership, um, a majority of our information security leaders that we surveyed, 72% agree it's not just corporate data, it's my work and my ideas, which, you know, that's a scary statistic because if people think that it's their work and their ideas, they're going to take it with them when they leave and I don't think companies realize how impactful that can be until the data is gone. I talked to a lot of customers and potential customers. And um, just recently, I was on the phone with a company that had an employee leave, start their own company. um, And that became a threat to the existing company or the initial company to the point where they had to buy out the company that was started with the employee's data or with the Hmm. employer's data. Um, so I don't, I don't think companies really realize how impactful it is until it's probably too late. 
So, based on the information that you gathered in in this version of the report, uh, what are your recommendations? What do you uh, suggest folks should do here? Yeah, my suggestions would be just don't wait. Um, make sure that you you really think about the information in the report and what it's telling you and the fact that this is a problem that we can't ignore. Start with coming up with some sort of framework on an insider threat program. If you don't have one already at your company, start to launch one. An insider threat program is much more than just buying technology. Um, For our own insider threat program, we have a very strong partnership with legal and HR, which are probably the two most important organizational units as part of an insider threat program. HR from the standpoint of they own the employee life cycle from start to finish, and this is really about employees. Um, legal, legal certainly has to get engaged if there is some sort of lawsuit against a particular employee. Um, and so certainly those two teams have to be involved. But then it, then it really is like process um, and technology second. And so, you know, coming up with the right steps that you're going to take when you do find data exfilled. And then what, what's the right technology? And I, I'd really stress not focusing on preventative technology or focusing on some sort of solution that gives you more visibility across everything, across you know, your endpoints as well as cloud sharing, across every aspect in which a data could be exfilled out of the company. Something that gives you much more visibility and doesn't necessarily focus on prevention only. That's J.D. Hansen from Code42. We were discussing the latest version of their global data exposure report. The U.S. NSA yesterday added its own warnings to those of CISA and the U.K.'s NCSC issued last week concerning the exploitation of older but still widely used VPNs by various international threat actors. NSA's notes include advice about mitigation, After patching or updating your VPN, NSA recommends that you reset all associated credentials, implement two-factor authentication, require mutual certificate authentication, as well as other sound hygienic measures. Five U.S. Republican senators have written Microsoft President Brad Smith to tell him he's underestimating the security threat Huawei poses. Smith had earlier this year told Bloomberg Businessweek that he thought Huawei's treatment was unfair, indeed un-American. Senators Cotton, Rubio, Scott, Hawley, and Braun say they appreciate Microsoft views and that they understand that many U.S. companies have done business in good faith with Huawei, but that the security concerns that surround the Chinese device manufacturer are both serious and urgent. They review familiar incidents involving compromise and intellectual property theft, and they offer well-attested accounts of the company's thorough alignment with China's ruling Communist Party. One of the points Microsoft Smith brought up, however, the senators found themselves in agreement with. Smith had said that U.S. agencies typically said when questioned that, well, if you knew what we knew, your eyes would be open for sure. So, Smith said, why not show us some of what you know? The senators think that's a good idea, and they'd welcome further conversations with Microsoft, and other businesses about coordinating such briefings. This sounds like a job for CISA. Director Krebs, call your office. By the way, the U.S. Commerce Department announced further sanctions against Chinese businesses, adding eight companies to the entity list that already includes Huawei. This round of sanctions is different in that Commerce says, credibly, that the new members of the entity list earned their way there not because they pose a security threat to the U.S. or other countries, 
but because they've played a prominent and important role in repressive measures Beijing has instituted against its predominantly Muslim Uyghur minority. It's Patch Tuesday, and the usual round of updates are expected later today. Microsoft's patching round is expected to be somewhat lighter than usual, especially since .NET, Exchange, and SharePoint all received fixes last month. Some commentators looking ahead have gotten cold feet with respect to automatically patching Windows, since some recent rounds have brought problems with them. One set of patches, however, won't appear. D-Link has decided not to patch its older home routers against a critical remote takeover vulnerability, ThreatPost reports. Users should upgrade to new equipment instead. The affected routers, although still available as new from third-party vendors, are beyond their end of life. So, D-Link's advice in this case is probably pretty sound. Why buy and install a vulnerable system that's no longer being maintained? And finally, the Internet Society has done a privacy audit of 23 U.S. presidential campaign sites and found seven of them worthy, those belonging to candidates Buttigieg, Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, Trump, and Williamson. The other 16? Well, sorry, no bueno. Report to Study Hall. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the SANS Technology Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, We wanted to uh, do a little follow-up on uh, some things we've talked about before with some server-side request forging. Uh, What do you have to share with us today? Yeah, the problem here is that everything is becoming an HTTP API. And uh, while this is good in some ways, it makes software more interoperable, it 
Also does open up some new vulnerabilities because every software is now able to accept commands via HTTP requests. Much software is also able to send HTTP requests. And there's a specific vulnerability server-side request forging where I'm tricking a web server into sending an HTTP request. Typically web servers, they accept HTTP requests. They don't send them. But in these modern web applications, what's happening is that the web server is reaching out to all of these different uh, HTTP APIs, typically REST APIs, and is basically using them like a more traditional web application would have used a database or uh, something like this. So uh, with all of these HTTP APIs interacting with each other, it becomes really critical that uh, access is properly controlled to them. And that's where lately there have been some high visibility vulnerabilities that led to major breaches, like for example, the Capital One case that uh, as a root cause sort of led to these server-side request forging vulnerabilities. In terms of limiting access, what do you recommend? So first of all, you need to carefully define what the capabilities of these APIs are so you don't expose any functionality that you don't need to expose. And then secondly, even if it's systems connecting to systems, servers connecting to servers, you still need to authenticate. There's always this idea, I only need to authenticate the user. But here, the server is acting on behalf of the user. And of course, those requests need to carry credentials just like the request that came in from the user originally. And then of course, well, a good old input validation, output encoding, where when you are creating these requests, that you're careful that the attacker isn't able to inject any additional commands. So typically, how would someone go about exploiting this? So as an example, if you have, let's say, a payment application that uh, does accept orders from users and then is connecting back to a payment service to, for example, charge a credit card. An attacker may now be able to modify that request that's going back to the credit card service to actually send a request that's not even a payment request, but if your application is receiving the okay back from the payment service, well, you think uh, the card was charged, the order was paid, and you're shipping the product without ever actually receiving payment. Hmm. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bonn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh,